2, verses 1 through 11. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Let them fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, an abundance of peace till the moon is no more. May he also rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him, and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents, the kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. And let all kings bow down before him, all nations serve him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these words. Um, just reminding us of your power and your strength, Lord, to bring about justice and mercy and peace. And uh, we just need that reminder of your, your plans, too, uh, through your uh, kings of the earth, through your son. Um, we praise you that you are all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, able to do these things, Lord. And we want to make sure that we lift up our voice to you in praise and prayer, asking for these things as we do today, as we uh, come here to worship you, the only one true living God. We, we praise you, we love you, and just ask that you use this day to build our faith, Lord, as we hear from Steve's message. In Christ's name. First thing, there's three general points and a number of specific points 
on the point three. The first point is this, is, is I'm convinced uh, that all those children went straight to heaven. Uh, there's an age of accountability, and, and I'm just convinced that they went to heaven. And on one hand, I think, what's really sad, they died so early. I, I, I think of that verse in, in uh, Ecclesiastes, is better is the day of one's death than the day of one's birth. That his life is difficult. And God wanted to spare them a lot of evil and take them right to heaven. So that's a good thing, okay? The second thing, we need to pray for the friends and the families, the relatives of the people there. Uh, because that the that they're in heaven is a good thing, but still it's tragic to lose a child. Um, or in some cases, a couple older people, teachers. So we need to pray for them, that God would give them grace and peace and comfort. Pray for them to understand the gospel. We know the story of Luke 13, 1-5, how God wants to use situations like this to wake us up to the truth of how we each need to repent uh, uh, or we'll perish. And so we have to pray for them. That's the second thing. The third thing is we know that the killer well. You know, absolutely sure, but I would say with some certainty that the killer went to hell, okay, just to be honest. Uh, his heart was not for the Lord, and I can't see of any believer ever doing what he did, so I would say that. But there's other reasons here that I want to mention. Well, why did he do it? Why did he do it? They look at his, you know, his, what he's doing online and his relationships, drop out of school. I mentioned five things here briefly. These are biblical. First, we go to Genesis. And Genesis tells us a lot. The first verse, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and what, what people who've studied this have noticed that a lot of these killings, these mass shootings, particularly by young people, not all by young people, started really increasing back in the 60s. And I've talked to you enough about what happened in the 50s and 60s at that point in time. This country started really, really declining rapidly in terms of its rejection of God. You know, there's a magazine article back in the 60s, you know, you know, God is dead, you know, taking prayer out of schools. Just the rejection of God happened more and more and more. We saw it in culture, we saw it in sin. So there's this general societal thing that's taking place. There's an individual thing, but there's also a societal, cultural thing that's been taking place in our country 60, 70 years now. It's, it's very clear, it's very obvious. All of you who not that old understand what's been taking place. So this rejection of God, Rejection of God as creator. We, we don't fear God. We don't respect him. And therefore, this relates to the next point, is it says in Genesis 1 that God created man in his own image. And so how can anybody think of killing anyone, no matter what age they are, but little children? They're all made in the image of God. And this is total, not total, just incredible lack of respect that people have in, in our culture around the world. More and more we see that, you know, it's just people hate each other. It's not, not good. So this lack of respect, not seeing people made in the image of God. The third thing is this. It says God made a male and female. And if you've not followed things closely, maybe you've missed this. But there's been an attack on masculinity. There's been an attack on men, on maleness in our culture the last 30, 40, 50 years. It's obvious me, I think to many of you. This really hurts. Men putting death put, being put down for whatever reason. And it, it, it's not right. I don't want to talk about women here. I'm talking about men. And so men are put down. They're vilified for different reasons. And maybe there's some good reasons, but in general it should not be done. It's really hurting our culture. Because you go to Genesis 2, it's obvious that men should lead. Okay, And they're not being the leaders 
and the elevation of women being the leaders, and I'm not saying that women can't lead in certain ways, but the men have to lead, and they're not doing it. And oftentimes they're being attacked when they do do it. So he's, that's, that's the third thing. The fourth thing we see in Genesis 1 is that, and I talk about this, it's so obvious there, is that God created marriage between a man and a woman. And there's been an attack not just on men, but on families. Studies have shown, there's a bunch of studies on, on you know, these people that should, I'm sure were books written about it, but every study shows, in different studies, but either from 70 to 95% of all the people who are involved in these mass shootings don't have a father figure around, okay? Some studies say 70, some say 95, but it's, it's, it's high. The same thing with this, this guy here, his father's not around. And so that's, it's huge. Young men need fathers, okay? And that's the only thing. I'm just saying it's one of these things I'm pointing out to. This is what's going on here. The father figure is gone. The men are being attacked. And we need good fathers in our society. If you don't have good fathers, it's going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And so the attack on the nuclear family, where I'm not going to go into this now, but you can have any kind of person there being the parent. No, you have men and women. You have man and woman, male and female, they are to be the parents. That's what God so clearly says in his words. So there's an attack on the family. The, the, the fifth, well, the next thing, Genesis 2 also talks, verse 17, about sin. And, and basically says that if you sin, you die. And so the, the individual, personal sin of this, this, this shooter, this killer, it was sin. It was sin in his heart. And that's why it happened. There's evil. And some people on TV say that word evil, but most do not. They, they're this elevation of mental illness. And it's definitely true. We go to Romans 1 and talk about the depravity there in verse 28, that a person rejects God. You see the whole progression there from verse 18 then the chapter is, is this progression, is that a person's mind will go. There will be mental illness, but that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is sin. It's a spiritual sin. It's a spiritual illness. It's what it is. The final thing I'll say is this. And this relates to both Psalm 1 and Proverbs 1. Interesting, both the first chapters of those important books is it very clearly says that you need to stay away from bad people. You've got to stay away from bad people. Bad company corrupts good worlds. And not in every case, but in most cases, these killers are have bad company. Now, many are loners, but you know what their company is? It's their computer, their internet, their social media. And, and you, you see, you hear about the vile stuff that they're into. It just is not good. It's not good at all. And so the point is, there's this bad company. I mean, you, had, you have all kinds of shootings in Chicago, and most shootings are done by who? Gangs. Gangs. And gangs typically are a bunch of people, it's bad company, right? That's what's going on. What happened in Chattanooga yesterday, you heard about that, right? There's a bunch of shootings, I don't think they died. It's a bunch of young people, high school age, teenagers, okay? A bunch of people were injured. There's probably some gang fight that was going on. That's what it is. But there's also this, there's the video games. Some of them are atrocious. Video games are rated, and the highest rating is M. You know what M stands for? Mature. Mature means there's violence, there's killings, there's bad language, there's immorality, bad pictures. It's bad. Now, do you think some of the young kids can get access to this? You bet they can. It's not hard. There's 11, 12, 13-year-old kid watching these, playing these video games. It's just sick. It is sickening. And so some person said, he's surprised there's not more shootings like this. And so... 
There are reasons it relates to the Bible. I want you to know this so you understand. Tell your friends. It goes back. There's a, overall, if you want to give one answer, it's rejection of God. That's what it is. And all the other things that I just said flow from that. So let's take a minute and pray for that situation that God used to really for their lives there, but also for people all over the world to be ones who turn to God. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love and your kindness, your love for the people there, and particularly the family members, the, the, the friends, the relatives who are just heartbroken, Lord, as they prepare funerals for children that have died and others as well. We just pray that you should give them your grace and mercy and lead them to yourself, Father, pray for your truth, the gospel, to be somehow communicated to them so that these people get to save through this. We ask you for this. I, I pray, too, that just be more of an understanding that we as a country have rejected you, O oh God, as a country. And our country is in decline. This is shooting one example of that. But, but thank you, Lord, that we have you. Thank you that we can talk about the gospel. Thank you for today. Uh, and that's what just motivates me. Boy, I need to share what the Bible says because that's where the truth is at. That's what we need to hear. And the people saying all kinds of things on, on TV, and they don't really know what they're talking about half the time. But we have the truth. And so, Lord, help us to love you, to love the truth, to share the truth. Lord, again, use this situation that we've heard about here for your glory, for your purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Okay, all the Gospels focus on the person of Jesus Christ, on who he is and what he's done. We are going through the Gospel of John. This Gospel, more than any other Gospel, talks clearly about who Jesus is. And last time we talked about how Jesus is, in the, is the light of the world. We're going to continue on this important subject this day. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 8, verse 12. We're going to work our way through a number of verses here. John chapter 8. Verse 12. And again, the overall purpose as we go through this is, is, is we're trying to understand the gospel. And as we understand it, we see the gospel on one hand. It's very simple. On the other hand, there's a lot of details that God gives us to understand. John 8, verse 12. Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Incredible promise. Now, the word light, uh, that just means that, that God is holy, that Jesus is holy, that he is perfect, that he is sinless. Nor darkness is a word that relates to the idea that, that, that of sin. And there's evil. And there's, there's, there's wickedness. And, and sin, and we said this, is the number one problem in the world. That's because sin results in death, both physical death and spiritual death. Spiritual death being that, meaning that we're separated, we're cut off from God himself. Jesus, of course, is the only answer to this sin. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us, and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And in this verse in 1 Peter 3, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust to bring us to God. So he's the answer. He took our sin upon himself. He paid for our sins. And all those that who repent of their sins and believe in him, then they can be forgiven. That's what he wants. All those who repent and believe in him, then, are ones who are spiritually alive and will spiritually live forever and ever. That is, will have eternal life. And then on the last day, the defeat of death, this is important because when we talk about Jesus, he defeated physical death and also spiritual death. On the last day, that is the day in the future, the day of Christ, when Christ comes back, we then will be glorified. And I always love this truth. You know, they realize, hey, we're going to get a brand new body someday, a brand new physical body. 
It will be so, so good. John 12, 46, Jesus says, I've come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. A great promise won't remain in darkness. Of course, the darkness meaning now as we grow in this life here, then of course in the future, there won't be any darkness at all. John chapter 8, verse 13, we continue. A Pharisee said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. The Pharisees didn't like it when Jesus said things that either stated or implied that he was God. They got mad at him. They wanted to kill him, but that was the truth. Jesus was God. He is God. He'll always be God. It says in, in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so Jesus Christ is God. That, that is the truth there. John 8, 14 to 16, Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you did not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. And so Jesus then says that he and his Father are testifying, that is both he and the Father are testifying to the truth about themselves. That is, that is, in a court of law, you need at least two witnesses to establish the truth of a matter. And that's what Jesus said, hey, my Father and I were both testifying. We are basically giving proof that indeed what I say is true. We continue verse 19 and 20. They were saying to him, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And so the, the, the Pharisees asked Jesus this question, where is your father? So he's talking about the father. Very common uh, message. Jesus talked much about the father. Now there was talk that Jesus was illegitimate, that he was born out of wedlock, and they wanted to delegitimize him, they wanted to make him look bad, they wanted to make him look sinful. Hey, where is your father? Where is he at? And Jesus was strong in his answer, and I like how he answers him. He doesn't talk in physical terms, he says, you know neither me nor my father. Now many people, of course, knew about Mary and Joseph, Mary being the mother, Joseph being the stepfather, we understand that. But Jesus was saying to them that you don't know me or my father. Talking in a relational way. That is, they were not born again. They were not saved. They were not forgiven of their sins. And therefore, they did not have a relationship with him or the father. So he takes it from the physical parents to spiritually. That's what he's saying in these verses. We read there he's in, in this area of the temple called the treasury. The temple was a you know, pretty good sized area. Uh, in this area, it's, it's, it's also called the court of women. And and people debate, well, why couldn't the women go any parts of the temple? They could. They weren't allowed in every part of the temple. But only certain parts, court of the women is one of those parts. This is also where the treasury boxes were. They had all these different boxes where you could put different ties in for different things, different gifts, money. And so that's where he was speaking from. Now, many people wanted to seize Jesus. They didn't like him. They didn't like what he was saying at all. They didn't like the influence that he was having. They were jealous of him, and they wanted to kill him. And I love this, and I've said this before here in this, 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 uh, this church. They couldn't do it because his time had not yet come. I love that. And God is saying that he's sovereign. He's sovereign over the life of Jesus. Of course, he's sovereign over every one of our lives as people. We need to realize that and recognize that. One of my favorite verses, so simple. 
the Proverbs 16, 9, man plans his way and the Lord directs his steps. Think about that. And as you go through life, it's always good to look at the end of the day and the end of the week and say, how, how did my plans go this week? I mean, it's fine to plan. I'm not saying you should plan. Plan prayerfully. Plan with, you know, thinking about the Lord and what he wants you to do. But then you look back and you see he changes things. God is sovereign over each of your lives. John 8, 21, he said to them, I go away, you will seek me, and I will, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus said he was going away. We all know that it wasn't long after this time that Jesus died, that, that he was buried, that he was raised again, and not long after that, that he ascended into heaven. And so when Jesus said he was going away, he meant he was going to heaven. That's what he was saying. But they didn't understand it. They were still seeing things in a, in a physical level. You know, that's how they saw things. So they thought they could go look for him and find him. But then he, he explains why they couldn't go where he was going. He says they were still in their sins. They were sinners and had rejected him. And if they did not repent, then they wouldn't be able to go to heaven. And then they would physically die. And then they physically died, weren't saved, they'd be still in their sins. They would still be sinners. They're on their deathbed, they die, they're still sinners. Unsaved. Unbelievers. That's what it means by dying in your sin. And then, of course, they'd be spiritually dead and apart from God forever. <coughs> they'd be punished for their sins. It says in Matthew 25, 46. I like this. It just sums things up very well. These will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Two things. People in life, people that you see, people that you know, people at work, eternal punishment or eternal life. One or the other. That's it. Matthew 25, verse 46. Now, all people are sinners, and if a person doesn't repent and believe in Christ during his life on earth, then he won't go to heaven. He, he, he'll, he'll still be a sinner, still be dead in his sins, and be, then be uh, punished and go to hell. But the Jews didn't know what he was talking about. They, they said, said that they thought he might be going to commit suicide. <laughs> it's just, it's just it's so ludicrous or funny when you see what they say. Well, he's going to commit suicide. No. And he tells them again, where I am going, you cannot come. John 8, 23 to 24. You sin to them. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So he further explains that if they're sinners and physically die, then they won't go to heaven. But then he adds on this. He says, you guys are from below. You guys are from the world. But I am from above. I am from heaven. Now, to say they were of the world is another way to say that they were sinners. Now, I need to do something here just to try to make this brief. But the word world can be defined in different ways, and you have to define it by looking at the context. It's one of those, one of those words in the New Testament that it has different meanings in different places. And so that's why I'm just going to mention three of them right here very simply. First of all, the world can be the physical world. That is God creating a physical world. So that's the world can mean that. Secondly, it can mean a world of people. You go to John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world, that means in context, a world of people. Okay? A world of people. But, but here, it means something different. It's referring to a spiritual system of evil that's on this earth. That's what he's saying. A spiritual system of evil that's on this earth. It's a way of life controlled by the devil and its demons. That is, the devil controls this 
world, and it's his evil ways, his evil ideologies that, that is powerfully impacting, dramatically affecting this whole world. That's what's going on. We live in a world then controlled by the devil. First John 5.19 says, we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we wonder why this evil in general? Well, the devil has a lot to do with it. Here's some other verses. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is against the world forces of this darkness. Colossians 2.8, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. 1 John 2, 15 and 16, do not love the world or the things of the world. So he talks about this world, and I'm not going to go there now, maybe someday I will. Revelation 18, it's a classic chapter. It talks about the destruction of this evil world system, and it is powerful. And all of us should read that because it shows you, what am I here for? And it talks about this world and how in just one day, really in one hour, it's going to be destroyed. It's going to be gone. All the things we see in the world and the devil's world system. But the point is this, is at the end of this age, Christ comes back. Before Christ can start his millennial kingdom, he needs to destroy the devil's evil system. That's what's going to happen. And Revelation chapter 18 talks all about that. So in this context... This word world refers to a whole set of beliefs that's humanistic and fleshly and devilish and is against God and against his word. And I, I can't help but think a lot of you have heard of that phrase, you need to have a biblical world view. Okay. So we think about our view. You see the world and all that's here through the Bible, through the truths of the Bible. Or you think about it in a humanistic, fleshly, and devilish way. That's the idea. That is, there's, there's the biblical worldview, and then there's the fleshly or devilish worldview. That's, that's, that's the idea here. And so we say, having this worldview then, there's all kinds of views on all kinds of subjects. So we talk about marriage. Does, is there a certain worldview of marriage that's of the devil and of the flesh? You bet there is. Is there a biblical worldview that we find in the Bible? Yes, there is. So that's what I'm talking about. When do you talk about marriage? But they talk about families. I mean, it's coming out these last five, ten years more and more in this country. What's the what's the world say about families? Okay, what does God say? Or whether it's money, or whether it's education, or whether it's work. I mean, for some people, you hear this more and more. Well, we get one where people don't need to work. No, the Bible says we should work. We should be ones who work. We can be on 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 your looks. What does the world say about how you should look? I mean, you go to a store, you watch TV, the advertisement, and a certain way a person should look, right? Or how about clothes? You know, and, and this is a simple thing, but you go to the store, whether it's the mall or some other store, you know, and you're buying some clothes, is you want to get clothes that, hey, this is a modest piece of clothing here. Not what the world says it should be. So it, it affects everything. Pleasure, possessions, religion, and many more things. And the attitudes, we can talk about attitudes that worldly people have. They're selfish, they're greedy, they're impure, they're immoral, they're unrighteous, they're unloving, they're, self, they're, they're jealous. There's all kinds of worldly attitudes as well. So that's what we're talking about. I'm just trying to extract from this one verse where he says, you are of the world. Now Jesus, of course, he's, he's not of the world. He's, he's from above, he's from heaven, and he's one who's holy, and he's pure, and he's godly. John 17, I like this verse. It says, they, 
These are the disciples. That is, the disciples are not of the world. And, and they were still in the world. They're still on this planet, this physical world, but they're not of the world in that they're not of this demonic, devilish, fleshly, mortal system. That's what he's saying. He says, they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so, Jesus is the world, and as Christians, we are not to be of the world. Now, sometimes we are flesh, and we make mistakes, and we get worldly. You've heard that. That, that Christian is a worldly Christian. That can happen. That can happen. We need to be careful. He wants to do by God's grace, stay holy. Philippians 3.20 says this. It says, your citizenship is in heaven. And so, as Christians, our citizenship, yeah, we can be in a U.S. citizen, that's fine. But, but you know what I'm saying? Spiritually speaking, our citizenship is in heaven. That is our home. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about that as well. And so Jesus is saying that, that these unbelievers are of this world. They're of this devilish system, and they then are sinners. That's his point. Ephesians 2 says this. It says, you were dead in your sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of of the air, connecting there again. Unbelievers are walking in the world, this world system, one that's run by the devil himself. So Jesus again tells them that they're going to die in their sins that are going to be apart from God and in hell unless they believe in him. He says that phrase there, unless you believe I am he. I like that. Unless you believe I am he. Who is he in that verse? Unless you believe I am he, he meaning the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. That's what he's saying. The Christ, that's what he's saying. You've got to believe who I am, who, who I'm saying I am. John 8, 25, we continue in John. And he just says, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Verse 24, verse 25. So they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what have I, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? I, I have many things. To speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. And so the people there don't understand what Jesus says when he says, unless you believe, I am he. So they say, it's a good question, really. Who are you? Who are you? And I, I said this a couple weeks back that when we talk to people, this should be a, a question with unbelievers. Do you know who Jesus is? And, and so, so what Jesus says there is, is hey, I, I've been telling you, and, and when you think about this and think about what we've been looking at in the Gospel of John, we go back to John 1, time and time and time again, Jesus has been talking about who he is. I mean, that, that is one of the number, probably two or three themes in the Gospel of John, important. I'm telling you who I am. The identity of Christ is clearly given, and Jesus said, from the beginning, I've been telling you who I am. And what's interesting about the whole Bible, you back up the Bible, one of the purposes of the Bible is to talk to us about who this Christ is. Old Testament does, New Testament does, but then you come to the Gospels, the four Gospels, and they really talk about who Jesus is. But then you get to the Gospel of John, as I've said, it is the single best place in the whole Bible to find out who Jesus is. It is the place to go. The Gospel of John. So God wants to understand this. Now, Jesus' father testified that Jesus is God in flesh. And I mentioned this before. We looked at the end of John chapter 5. About the witnesses. So, so the father, Jesus' father, had testified that, hey, Jesus is my son. He is the son of God. John the Baptist had testified. You remember, John said in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Talk 
about him being a savior. So John the Baptist had testified the works Jesus did, that his miracles, all his miracles of healing people, raising people from the dead, casting out demons, they testified. And fourthly, the works of God testified. The word of God, that is, that is the Old Testament word of God for witness and testifying to the truth of who Jesus is. So we have these four. A fifth one would be Jesus himself, right? A sixth one would be you and me, right? As believers, we are to testify. A seventh one would be this, is, is the church. This church here should testify. We should, as a church, be a witness of who Jesus is. So, so important. So the witness, the evidence of who Jesus is, is really overwhelming. And so they're asking here, who are you? Jesus, man, I, I tell you, it's overwhelming. But the problem is their hearts were hard and they were, were deceived and blinded by their own sin, by their own flesh, and also, of course, by the devil. It's hard to figure out exactly how the devil influences what he does. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So the devil has a huge part in blinding the minds of unbelievers. 2 Timothy chapter 2, the last verse. Um, his unbelievers are in the snare of the devil and are held captive to do his will. So you see, wow, there's power, there's influence the devil has over unbelievers' lives. Held in his snare, held captive to do his will, blinded by him. So we understand that happens. Now Jesus wants them to, to know that he has things to speak to them and to judge concerning them. There's two different thoughts, I believe, here in these, this, this, this verse. Speak, I believe, relates to the truths that Jesus wants to teach them. And he's been teaching them many, many truths I mentioned to you before. Uh, one reason I like the red letter edition of the Bible, you can say, like, Jesus talking, what's he saying? It just goes through the Gospels. I mean, it's, it's sort of an interesting read. Just go through the Gospels, read the red letters. That's Jesus, his life's the truth. So I've been speaking to you the truth. But they also says that we're judged. Judge is, is, is a word that means to, to make judgments or to make decisions regarding the matter, particularly with reference to the actions of a person. And, and so in this, this area here, we're talking about judgments, consequences of a person who does not look to Jesus, does not trust in him, does not believe in him. It is, it's very clear. Now, um, turn to John three sixteen. And, and I just want to draw this point out here about judgments that he makes. 3.16. He says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you, you read that, we read that, that's a nice, sweet, encouraging verse. But when you think about it, it's dramatic. If you don't believe, you will perish forever. But if you do believe, you'll have eternal life. And that's a judgment. God judges. Christ judges people who don't believe in him. That's what we're saying. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. If he does not obey the Son, will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Again, the word believe. If you believe, you have life. If you don't, you don't have life. And you will be judged. John 5, 24. Uh, similar thought here. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you that he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come to judgment, but has passed out of death into life. That it is a judgment 
for all those who do not believe in Christ and, and, and they'll be judged. They will experience the wrath of God and Christ is the one then who makes those judgments. He is the one that does that. Now, John 8, 26, let's go back there. Eight twenty six. He says, I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but you sent me the true and the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. So Jesus wants them to again know that when he speaks and when he judges, he is telling them the truth. This word true or truth appears quite a few times in the Gospel of John. This is the truth. This is what's true and right. We talk about this in the world, but hey, is that true? Is that right? You watch the news, is that true? I don't know. Is it different from who knows? This is important. The truth of God is what is vitally important, what is most important for us to think about. What does Jesus say? And it's true. And, and Jesus then tells him that his father is true. And we see this, and it's really encouraging because Jesus is always connecting himself to the father. That is what he is doing. And, and he says the father is true. And then he, you know, then he had been with the father. And when he was with the father, the father spoke to him the truth. And then the Father sent him. So here's the Father's truth. It's with the Son in eternity past. The Father sends him down to this earth, and Jesus then speaks the truth that the Father has sent him. That the Father told him. That's it. So the Father's truth, Jesus' truth, and Jesus then is one who always, always speaks the truth. John 12, 49 and 50, the things I spoke, I speak just as the Father has told me. Again, it's a concept hard to understand. I mean, Jesus... Didn't know anything? Well, what it says is the Father told me the truth and told me what to say, and I'm now telling you the truth. I'm now passing this on to you. So the word true, that's an important word. It speaks of that which is true, right, correct, that which is genuine. It's not lies. It's not errors at all. Now, we all know there's physical truths, right? We understand physical truths. If you have gravity, well, there's gravity. If I drop something here, it falls to the ground, right? All of you, I believe, in school took biology, chemistry, or math, or physics, or some combination of that. There's a lot of truths there, okay? A lot of truths. I mean, I, I mean, the fact that this building was made, I mean, there's certain physical truths that had to be applied. The area of food, I, 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 Steve Phelps will be here about three weeks, I think, today, we, from today we'll be teaching, but through the years I've talked to him about food, and he just knows so much about food. He's a food scientist. And it's always intriguing, all these different truths about food. It's just this, that, the other, you know, what happens. And, and I, you know, I, I just think it's, there's truths about food. Just yesterday morning, I had breakfast. It's usually a Saturday morning thing my wife doesn't always like because I make my omelet, but I saute the onions. She doesn't like that smell of onions in the house. I go to my garden. I got a little herb garden. So I got basil, oregano, sage, and parsley. So I cut it up, you know. And, Onions are about done. I throw in those four ingredients. That's about done. And I put it, you know, drain off the oil. Then put in the eggs, and cheese, a little salt, and pepper. But but what's intriguing is I, I go to the computer and I look up. Okay, basil, nutrition or nu nutrients. Wow, that's basil. That little basil, oregano. Wow, that's a lot of good stuff in that oregano. Oh, that's sage. Wow, this is really good stuff here. That that parsley. It's amazing. And yesterday I had. I, I, there's I, we don't usually buy cat. But cabbage on sale, so let's try it and see what happens. So yesterday I boiled up cabbage, okay? So I'm not gonna go to the computer and find out what's in cabbage. It's amazing. You know, if you want vitamin K or vitamin C, you go get some cabbage. If you're sick, you go eat cabbage. 
Well, they say take a lot of extra vitamin C stuff, that's fine. Get cabbage. It's 500% of your daily, you know, you have a serving of cabbage, it's 500, five times what you need for that day. Vitamin K, vitamin C, plus all kinds of other foods. The point is there's truths. I don't want to focus too much that, but the point is there's truth, and there are spiritual truths, and that's what Jesus was talking about. And these, these truths, um, they're absolute. They never change. They're always true. And so for yourself, I mean, some people can get really consumed. You know, man, I'm going to look up everything I eat and I'm here to see what's in it. Well, okay, that's all right, don't do it. But we've got to be careful that that this Bible, this is what for. I mean, even me, you know, one of, one of us, i got to be careful here because I like to find out the truth of the news, you know, what's going on. I go to different sources, what's true? Well, that, some of that's all right, but you don't want to spend too much time there on the computer or TV. You know, what's most important is the truth of the Bible. That's what should be our focus. That's what should be in our hearts. So the Father is true. He speaks the truth. Truth. He gives us a Bible which contains all of these truths that we need to know and believe so we can know how to live. That's the point. Psalm 119, 160, which I've mentioned before, the sum of that word of truth, that is, they don't want to take the word of God out of context. This verse from John 17, 17, sanctify them by thy truth, for your word is truth. And so the truth, so, so important. Jesus continues to speak the truth. Back to John 8, 27 to 30. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. So it says the people didn't know that he was speaking these things to them about the Father. And it's hard to figure out what's going on in their minds. They've been talking to the Father. They didn't understand all that. But, but, but the one thing that stands out in this gospel is that Jesus continually talks about the Father and his relationship with the Father and his unity with his Father and how what Jesus says and does is what the Father says and does. That's just so obvious. In fact, I was just looking at this morning, that the word Father in the Gospel of John, you know how many times it appears? When that is Jesus talking about the Father? 104 times. And, and that, and of course, the Gospel of John, much more than any other Gospel, that's where it happens. And you have to see a little bit of Matthew chapter 5, 6, 7, where Matthew speaks about the Father, but the Gospel of John is over and over and over again. Jesus talking about the Father, and you see the importance of the Father to him. And so how does Jesus respond to what these people said? He tells them more about the Father and his relationship with him. And, and what he says, and he just mentions the verse there, he says, he talks about when he is lifted up. And when Jesus said, I'll be lifted up, what do you mean? He meant two things. Now, now we think first on the cross, he was lifted up. Okay, this is I think also mentioned in John chapter 3. He talked about being lifted up. He means dying on the cross, but implied in that statement is also the resurrection. So what Jesus was saying is that the truth of his death and the truth of the resurrection is evidence, is proof that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. Not just that he died, but that he was then raised from the dead. That, and so he wanted to make certain that they understood this. And we see it, we see it in particularly the book of Acts, is, is, is that's a story of the lives of people after he wrote that man they, they were changed. Jesus died, okay. But he rose again. That, that, that truth, that was important. And so that's that's what he's, what he's saying there. 
and, and that Jesus was raised from the dead also proves that Jesus' Father, that is, God the Father, was working with Jesus. Because, because it's the question, this question, who raised Jesus from the dead? It was God the Father. That's the one's turn. I don't turn to just Acts. We can turn to everyone. Acts 2.24. Acts 2.24. God, well, verse 20, this, verse 23, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Verse 32, same chapter, this Jesus, God, raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15 says, you, um, you, verse 4, you disown the holy and righteous one, ask for a murder to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. So God the Father raised him from the dead. Then back to John 8, there's a few more things I'm just going to summarize this. What did Jesus also say? And these are some of these are repeats. I mean, so I'm not going to go into more. But he first said that he did nothing on his own, but only what he, the Father, said and did. And I said a hard not. What does that mean? What the Father did? Well, what the Father did through the Spirit, through Jesus, is hard to understand exactly. But the point is, Jesus only did what the Father wanted him to say. The second thing was stated that I want to point out, the Father is always with his Son and never leaves him. Again, this, this shows the close relationship, the unity that they had together. John 16, 32, Jesus says, Yet I am not alone, the Father is with me. It's a powerful statement. And, and, and for us as we go through life, sometimes we can be afraid, we get worried, we get anxious. That kind of truth is important for us. Yet I am not alone, the Father is with me. You can, you can claim that for yourself. I'm not alone through the work of the Spirit. I am not alone. I am not alone. I'm not in this by myself. The Father is, is with me through His Son, through the Spirit. Thirdly, Jesus only did what His Father wanted Him to do, only that which was pleasing, which again is an example for us, as, as, as we should be ones who only do what is pleasing to the Father. And so we think about our lives, our days, what we're planning to do, you know, today, tomorrow, this week, I want to do that which pleases the Father. And again, this shows the great love that Jesus had for his Father, the Father had for the Son. I mean, the best example of a love relationship in the whole wide world. John 59, encourage you first here. Jesus talking. Is he says, just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. And that's a verse that's hard to sort of get our mind around. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. That's powerful. That's powerful. So we should be encouraged by that, that to know that we're greatly, greatly loved. Don't always feel that way. In fact, the majority of the time, I'd say we don't feel this great love of God, but we must be ones who believe it as we go through life. And so, final result of this is, and again, it's at verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. And, and we know that many said they believed, and in some passage we read, well, they didn't really stay believing. So it's hard to know for sure what that meant. The thing I will say to you is this. 
as a conclusion is that during Jesus' time on earth, many did believe in him, truly believe, truly get saved. It was not the majority of people, but it was a good number of people that that happened as he was going around the countryside, the north, the south, and different cities. And many believed him that that did happen, which is very, very encouraging. And so we have these truths again in the, the Gospel of, of John here. It's important just to think about these, and I encourage you to go back over them and read them and ask God to make them more clear to yourself. Because again, the truth, the truth of the gospel is that we can be ones who live and can live forever. We all understand that Memorial Day is a, it's a time when, remember those who died, um, soldiers in, in, in warfare, and, and that's good. I think it's good to do that. And, and I, I think of our church, in fact, I was just reviewing uh, the sheet on, I have a, one of my files, my computer's called Funeral. And, and I just always go there whenever I'm doing a funeral, like this memorial service. And one, one page, or a page and a half of that, is, is a list of all the people that have died that have been in this church or somebody closely associated with the church over the last 20 years, like 25. And, and so we remember, so I, I say that because I know that's not the intent or purpose of this country Memorial Day, but as Christians, we need to, in our minds, we have this memorial. I'm remembering this person. I mean, all these people, and maybe sometime I'll go through the list with you. But you know, the last year, Lou had Linda Cooper, there's been Vicki Phelps, there's been Gene Watson just recently. So it's a good thing. The memory of the righteous is the blessing. I believe that's in Proverbs chapter 10. So it's a good thing to remember the righteous who've, who've gone on before this and how they live their lives and live lives of faith that we can just continue on. Then there'll be a time when God will take us home too. And so, in our own little way, we can have our memorial day too. And so, it's, it's good to remember that. Let's just take a minute and, and pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day that you give us indeed. What a blessing to have your word, to have your truth. And I, and I just pray, Father, that, that the things that your spirit taught us today, Lord, that you would not let, as it says in Mark chapter 4, the devil snatched them away. It's so easy to forget the, the truth, and, and we know the devil is actively working. One of his objectives is, is to go through life and not think about the truth. Think about what we've learned, what we've read, what we've been taught, whatever, however we may get it into our minds. And so I just pray that you do that, Lord. I just thank you again for this day. And we do thank you, Lord, for the people who've gone before. We're talking about Christians, even from this church, a, a, a good number of people through the years that are, that are now with you, Lord, in heaven. And so we Thank you for that, knowing, Lord, that we continue, as I've read in Psalm 84 today, in a quiet time, we continue on for you. Uh, we just go through this life, and, and then it says there'll come a time when each will appear before God in heaven. And so thank you, Lord, help us to, day by day to keep going for you, Lord, to do all that you want as a church, as individuals. Encourage us, help us to be ministering, Lord, using our spiritual gifts, helping us to love people that you put in our lives and our path, Father, thank you for that. And just use us to reach out to the lost as well. Thank you for the opportunity you give us. We pray too for Bethel. Thank you for their church, their lives, their love for us. We work together for you, for your purposes and glory. We pray all this in Jesus' name.